You're listening to my white belt, the best jujitsu podcast in the world. Enjoy. That's Joey Diaz at the beginning of every show saying that you're listening to the best jujitsu podcast in the world. We love Uncle Joey around here, but I have to say that the other day I was editing a podcast episode because we are a one we're a one man shop around here at the My White Belt. So I was editing it. I was editing an episode of the My White Belt show. My girlfriend heard Joey Diaz, and she said. You know, it really is the best. It really is the best jujitsu podcast in the world. And I was like, babe, how can you even, how can you know that? And she said, first of all, it just is. <laughs> she said that it's the, so Joey Diaz says that my white belt is the best jujitsu podcast in the world. I'm sure he's being nice. My girlfriend says, you know, he's right. It really is. And, whether or not this is the best in the world, this is hands down the best jujitsu podcast that you are listening to right at this actual moment. So I'm glad you're here. Welcome to the My White Belt Show. I'm your host, Jim Trick. Last week, I made the point that we hatched some new blue belts at First Colony. It was very, very exciting. And then this past week... There were a couple of stragglers. There were a couple of people who weren't able to be at class the week before. And Liam said that I could present them with their blue belts. And <laughs> one thing you're never going to see happen with Liam or probably any of our other coaches, I don't think you're ever going to see any of them get choked up. I don't think you're going to see them get choked up or choked out. As for me, you're probably going to see both of those things happen to me if you hang out long enough. But I got to present um, Eric Wright and Dan and Serena with their with their blue belts. They earned them. Liam okayed it, and I got to give a little. I got to give a little. Just so you know, like a little minute and a half long speech about each of them. And boy, oh boy, I just got to tell you, I, when you when you really embrace the tribal community family aspect of jujitsu, and you watch your brothers and sisters come in, in this case, your brothers and your little sisters. Uh, come in and train and really give it them their all and you watch them progress. It is, it is so, I find it moving. I find it moving because I, I, you know, for each of these people, I know their story. I know what they had to overcome to walk in the door and I know what they've had to endure to stay. And it's a beautiful it's a beautiful thing to behold and an exciting thing to get to be a part of. So, yeah, we got a lot of blue. There's a lot of blue on our white mats at First Colony. And if you are if you are teetering on the brink of blue belt, just be patient. Try not to think too much about it. 
Don't worry about the belt. Any questions that you have about getting promoted, don't ask them. Don't ask them. Okay? Like, just for serious. For serious, don't ask. You can ask what you want your coach to have you work on or things that he'd like to see or she would like to have you improve on. But, yeah, just be patient. When you get your blue belt, don't get weird. When you step back on the mat, just just play it cool. Just play it cool. And don't come in and automatically start thinking that you're going to be like, teaching all the new people and blah, 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 blah. You've heard me talk about all of that stuff before. The other thing that you've heard me talk about before is how you can support My White Belt. There's so many ways for you to support My White Belt. If you enjoy this podcast, if you get something out of it, if you enjoy the Instagram, you can rate and review the podcast on Apple. You can subscribe. You can buy stuff from Origin and Jocko Fuel and use the discount code TRICK10. You can sign up for the mailing list, My White Belt Wednesdays, which every, you know, every couple of weeks, It's supposed to be every week, but sometimes it's every couple of weeks. I send out a newsletter. You never have to worry about me spamming you because I'm not the most disciplined person in the world when it comes to sending emails, but I'm pretty good at a weekly weekly My White Belt Wednesday newsletter. You can go to mywhitebelt.com. You can sign up for it. You can buy a t-shirt. You can do all the things. And all of those things are greatly appreciated. There's a cash there's a cash app and a Venmo. If you're listening and you've got a ton of money and you like this and you're like, I don't need anything at all. I get plenty. I just want to send you some of this extra money I have laying around. You can support the My White Belt podcast through Cash App or Venmo. And that's cool. I'm not going to complain about it. One man show over here working hard to bring you all of the stuff that we need to stay motivated and to get off the couch and to get on the mat. So speaking of people who have gotten off the couch and gotten on the mat, I actually don't think she spent a lot of time on the couch, but Professor Erica Dawn is our guest today. You know her from Erica Dawn Coaching. She helps run Legacy Jiu-Jitsu out in California. She is a she's a she started in 2000. She started training in 2014 and she's a black belt now. She has competed all over the world. She uh, she's currently in the process of sort of like the final stages of recovering from a pretty a pretty serious LCL uh, tear and an injury to her hamstring tendon. But she is in the process of of coming back, getting back into competition. She sat down with me. We had a great conversation. So in our little area, we have, you know, we're in Massachusetts here in Marblehead and a couple towns over is Invictus. And a lot of our friends train over at Invictus and Nate Morrison is their professor. And he introduced me. So he's just a neighboring professor. We have a great friendly relationship with all the people over there. Uh, Parker, who trains over there, Matt, Brenton, who's over at Invictus and happens to be my girlfriend's personal trainer. But Nate introduced me to Erica Dawn, to Professor Erica Dawn. She's got a really interesting story. And I think I think you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. And 
I don't really have a lot more to say. It's a good week, good week of training. I'm excited to to have Erica to have um, had this conversation with her. So I guess without any further ado, let's listen to this conversation about jujitsu, the impact of it on our lives and her personal journey with it here on the My White Belt Show. We are here live with the incredible Professor Erica Don. Erica, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> I have so many, I have so many questions for you, but we will begin with the fact that you and I have Professor Nate Morrison in common. How do you know that guy? How do I know that guy? Um, so I helped run some schools here in Los Angeles, and we were working with the Easton Online Academies uh, out in Colorado. And they had their their whole program for business owners or gym, specifically jujitsu gym owners, um, to kind of help them build their build their academies. And so I was a part of Easton Online, and Nate was a part of Easton Online. And then was this like a year ago? Yeah, it was last summer. Um, they had a retreat in Denver called the Summit. So they sent, they had all their people they work with come out and we're in a conference room doing lectures for a couple hours a day and then going and seeing all these beautiful Eastern Academies. And uh, when we went into the conference room day one, I sat next to Nate. So I sat next to Nate, um, got to talking, and he was always like scribbling on his little remarkable tablet. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm like an avid journaler. And so I, finally asked him like, what, like, what is that thing? You know? And then that was like, boom, that was it. Once we got to talking about his morning routine and my morning routine and how I do a journal and he does a remarkable, um, we just became really good friends. And then after that summit, we kept in contact via social media. And then February of this year, um, I went out to Boston for the first time and helped him with his kids program stuff. And I taught a women's seminar for him and a co-ed seminar. Um, and then we've just stayed in contact. Like I just was out there again, teaching and training, you know, uh, this month. So yeah, he's a really good friend of mine. And we met through uh, Easton Online. So for people who don't know, Nate Morrison owns and operates Invictus, which is uh, they're a school a couple town a couple towns over, and we have a lot of friends who cross train, and he's just like a guy that we all we all really like and get a kick out of. But have you ever heard him play the drums? Yes, I yeah. have. Because he has he he's incredibly talented. He has so much skill. Like his jujitsu is just it's phenomenal. He's got great jujitsu. He's got great curriculum, and then out of his whole like being a beast on the mat, you like walk over to his office, and he has a drum room in his in his academy and he's like well yeah i gotta like be able to play you know um so i've heard him play you know in between meetings and and stuff like that he's really talented i find him extraordinarily irritating for those facts <laughs> that you just laid out like yeah is that guy bad at anything no it's kind of annoying it's kind of annoying like he he when i first so when i with the easton online 
um, when we were in Denver, I was injured, so I wasn't able to spar. And he was like sparring with everybody, everybody from the team that came, my team, all the people at Easton. And he's just like nonchalantly beating everybody up. And I was like, how does that feel like to just be that good? And then you just step off the mat and he's like, oh, I'm just going to go play drums and be equally as good. It's like. Yeah, but you're kind of irritating in the same way, though. I mean, let's 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 just let's just let's start in the words of, you know, the song and the sound of music. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. You Mm -hmm. where did you move? You moved to L.A. all alone when you were 18 years old. Where did you move there from? I moved to L.A. from Colorado. So I was born and raised in Colorado, Colorado Springs. Um, okay. That's where all my family is on both sides, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles. And then um, I was a dancer and I wanted to work for Disney on their Disney cruises. So at 18, um, I had saved a bunch of money working through high school because my parents said, once I turn 18, like, that's it. Like, if I, whatever I want to do, it's on me. Um, and so I saved up a bunch of money and I moved to LA by myself to try to dance for Disney. So, okay, let's just... let's just go back to you at like 14 were you a nightmare like were were you like a goody two-shoes straight a student or were you like a nightmare who was just gonna (laughs) do what she was gonna do or give me the give me the lowdown of erica dawn (sighs) pre-professorship at like 13 14 years old okay i was a handful yeah Um, i'm not surprised (laughs) but I was good. Like I was good. I didn't get in like trouble. Like I wasn't a troublemaker. I just was extremely adventurous. Like whatever it was, I I wanted to do it, you know, and if it was jumping out of trees, you know, I have like eight broken bones as a kid, you know, the doctors, they just knew, you know, my mom just had to call, Hey, pediatrician, Erica, I think broke her arm. Sure enough. And it was because I, I just wanted to like adventure all the time. I wanted to jump off things. I wanted to climb trees. Um, my parents met um, riding dirt bikes. So I had my first dirt bike when I was like 10 years old, crashed that thing all the time. So I was just a handful in the sense that I just, you couldn't keep me still. Like Were you I just, a tomboy? I was super tomboy, super, super tomboy. Like if you saw pictures of me, I had like a bowl cut, like a freaking uh, dumb and dumber haircut. <laughs> like I had <laughs> that bird, haircut. Pretty bird. Uh, my grandpa, my grandpa um, would take us, it was me and all my cousins were boys. I was the only girl until my sister was born. I'm nine years older than her. Um, and so it was me and all the boys. I wore army fatigues because my grandpa would take us to the army fatigue store. Uh, I had a bowl cut. I was super, super tomboy trying to keep up with all my cousins and these activities. Um, and I was terrible in school. I struggled through school, elementary, middle high school, um, in elementary school, they, you know, they didn't want me to pass fourth grade because I had such terrible penmanship. So I had to take, if you, if, if you were doing this today, do you think that you would have been labeled with something or could we, did you just just have ants in your pants? So, so it was, um, my mom was dyslexic. And when I, they did like the school testing for, I had came, I had dyslexia and ADHD. So that wasn't really like in middle school and elementary school, I didn't get like good help 
with that. You know, yeah. it wasn't until high school and uh, they had me do, you know, I was really, really bad at math because all my numbers like 12 plus 12 was like somehow in the thousands, you know, and I would in, in elementary school, I would write things upside down. You know, right. I would write my yeah. letters. I would write right to left and upside down. But so it wasn't until high school that I, um, you know, they would get assigned seating. I would get notes pre-printed off of like the projectors. They would put Velcro underneath my seat. No, um, like underneath. Yeah. So I could, so I could play with the Velcro under the desk. So, to, so I could sit in the desk. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I was just constantly wanting to be active, you know? And so were you happy? I struggled in school. Was I happy? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was a happy kid, happy kid. I like to play, like to adventure. Um, I love to be outside. I was happy, but I, I really struggled in school. Like Did you I, play... I think. No, keep going. Go ahead. Yeah, no, you struggled I, in school. I struggled in school. D's and F's really, really low GPA. Like my SAT scores were so low. They like thought it was like a joke. Like yeah. you didn't, like you purposely tried to get this low of a score. So for me, college was like, no, I'm, there's no way I'm going to college. No way. I, I graduated from high school. My, my senior English teacher, like I walked up to him and I was like, Mr. Landon, I'm failing English. And like, I have to have this class to graduate and blah, 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 blah. I got terrible grades. I got terrible yeah. grades in high school like you. Yeah. And yeah. he said, uh, and he said, Mr. Trick, you will graduate from this godforsaken institute and you will do so by the grace of Lannan. And so basically I graduated high school because my English teacher felt like I had just been like underserved by the high school. And he knew that like, he knew I wasn't a dumb kid and he yeah. knew that I wasn't like, you know, like the things that I loved, I loved and I was great at, but yeah. Then I did a couple, then I, when I went to college, you know, the things that I studied, I loved them. And mm -hmm. so I did well, but I still didn't do great. Great. But isn't it, isn't it funny how like, there's just so many different kinds of gifted or intelligent. Yeah. Did you feel, how old were you when you started dance? I was young. So I was. Like not, I was like 11, 10 or 11. And I started dancing. Um, and that was like the thing. So my mom always said, uh, she's going to throw enough mud at the wall and something's going to stick. Cause I, uh, I tried all. Did she say mud me. or did she say something else? She said, she says mud. She's okay. good. All right. All she's right. good. Go yeah. On. Um, and it was dance for whatever, or this tomboy girl with short hair and army fatigues, you know, tried all the team sports. I didn't like team sports. Mm -hmm. Um, put me in gymnastics. I did really well at that. Uh, it was just the academy was really poorly run. And so she's like, you know what, let's just try dance. Like, why not? And it stuck. And I loved it. And I was obsessed. What kind and of I dance? Just, I did everything like tap, jazz, ballet, acrobatics, um, like hip hop, like I did everything, you know, and uh, dance was kind of what that was like my thing. You know, I did, I could go to practice every day after school until like nine o'clock at night. It was like my whole life. My parents really sacrificed a lot for me to be able to dance as much as I did, but they knew, like they knew this is what's going to give her the confidence because it was, I didn't have the confidence in school. You know, I got made fun of, I got teased because when other kids, even in high school, when other kids had, um, off periods, I had like remedial math. Yeah. Or I had like tutorial classes. And for you, your teacher, mine was Mr. Scott and Mr. Ortiz. They were like, you, you're not dumb. Like, you're not dumb. 
um, you're talented. You're this de- like you're an amazing dancer. You're dedicated to dance. You show up every day, all day. Like I didn't want to hang out with friends really. I just all I wanted to do was train. Um, and they were like, "There's a difference between like you know being bad at school or or having just like a love for learning." Because I love to learn, you know. And yeah. there's it's different, you know. Um, you know, so I love I- to learn and explore new new things. I don't want to jump. I'm so I'm going to just jump ahead for a second. I'm just going to put a check okay. mark next to this fact, but you're in charge. You, you just, you well, do your thing. <laughs> you know, but I, so, but I don't want to like, all I want to say is this. We last week, we hatched a bunch of new blue belts at our Academy. And okay. it's like a bunch of people who come from a bunch of different backgrounds who all have found something for themselves in jujitsu mm-hmm. and and in some cases it's belonging and it's confidence it's it's just like the broad spectrum of things that are mm-hmm. available and mm-hmm. jujitsu just seems like regardless of what your background was like i know this guy who got a phd in advanced mathematics from mit and he just got a job teaching at Ohio State University. And he loves jujitsu. He is moved emotionally by math. And he's an off-the-charts genius from an academic standpoint and great mm-hmm. at jujitsu. And you have people like you and I who we don't have, you know, if you were just going to measure us on our academic prowess. We would like literally be trying to find half smoked cigarettes behind the convenience store. Like that's totally. where we would place. And yet there's this place for us as well mm-hmm. in this thing that is that is complicated and sophisticated. So that all of that being said, let's just talk about you in your 2004. 14 so mm-hmm. you're like about a decade into your mm-hmm. training mm-hmm. what did you know about jujitsu prior to your trial class and how did you wind up walking through the door yeah i knew literally nothing i had uh, out of all my sports exposure growing up martial arts was never i never took a martial arts class so when I came to LA, I was trying to dance. I was auditioning, working retail. Retail was just killing me. I had, I was so poor. I had nothing, like literally nothing. I couldn't even put gas in my car, spent $12 a week on food. Um, so I decided I'm going to get certified as personal trainer. So, so I could set my own hours, make a little bit better money than well, how, retail. Were, how are you living? How are you paying rent? Like what were we, what were so, you living? I was living with another dancer, but she was on tour. So we had a one bedroom. She was on tour. Rent was a thousand dollars. And so she still paid her 500 while she was on tour. And I paid my 500, but I made like $560 a month with working at a retail job. So $500 would go to go to rent and the $60 left over, I had to live. So I walked everywhere. I barely had enough money for groceries, but I was like two. I was scared, but also like too stubborn. Um, and maybe now that I'm, you know, in my thirties looking back, like, God, you were, you were, you were such a stubborn, um, proud, like, I didn't want to ask for help because like, I wanted to do it. 
Like I wanted to like survive. So that was like a really hard time. Like looking back was just like, I had nothing. Like I had no furniture. I had no plates, no dishes, no belongings. Cause I just, I had, I moved to LA and I had nothing but my suitcases. Um, and that was the way it was for a long time until I got into personal training. Uh, I worked with a guy, uh, his name is Leo Frinku. He owns uh, results, personal training in Sherman Oaks. And um, he was a Greco-Romanian uh, wrestler, a Greco-Roman wrestler from Romania. And uh, he was training jiu-jitsu world champions, prepping them for worlds from like Gracie Baja Northridge. He was working with Homolo Baral and all of his guys. And so they would come in and I was a trainer there and they kept teasing me like, oh, you should do jujitsu. You should do jujitsu. And I was like, I I have no, I don't even know what you're saying. Like, I don't even, I can't even say it back to you. I, that's how little I know about what you're talking about. And I remember, you know, I didn't know who Homolo was, you know, and uh, he's just like, yeah, but he's like, you're a dancer and you're fit. Like I, I, you'd be really good. Well, then my boss, Leo was telling me about his school, how he's this world champion. And I was like, well, that's kind of a lot. That's like a little intimidating. Uh, for me, I don't really want to go to a school like full of world champions, you know? And so they suggested, oh, well, one of his black belts has a school and uh, they're just starting out. I think it might be a good fit. You should just go try a class. So I went to go try a class. I walk, I'm like pacing around in the, in the parking lot. Like, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what I'm getting into. I got there super early and pacing around. I'm so freaking nervous go in as I feel like a lot of people are. Um it takes a lot of guts to like walk into a jujitsu school. And now like knowing more, you know, obviously knowing more. It I, takes I a really... lot of guts for like gigantic strong guys. Yeah. Imagine it's... being a young woman. How yeah. old were you in 2014? 14, I don't even that's the math. 18, like... 19, 20, 21, 22, 21, okay. 21? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I just remember walking in and not knowing what that. So now I'm very proud of anyone that walks in our doors to our academies. I am like, I'm proud of you because I know how hard it is to walk in. Um, so I walked in, they handed me a gi and I was like, I just looked at it and I was like, what am I getting myself into? What Go in, thing? you know, you feel like a child because they're like tying your belt for you. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You're going to bow, you're going to get on. And I remember, I'll never forget my first class. First day, I'm trying to do the warm ups. I'm trying to hip escape. I'm trying to technical lift. I feel like a complete like baboon trying to do all this stuff. But <laughs> I was a dancer, so I looked at everything like choreography. And I'll never forget that first day because we were doing hip toss on this big crash pad, and I just got to hip toss the coach like a hundred times, and I thought it was like the coolest thing. And so after that first day, I still didn't have like good knowledge or education of what the sport really was. I just remember them being like, wow, you're getting these. I felt silly, but they were like, wow, you're getting hip escapes. Like you're getting technical lift. Like you're able to get the hip toss. And I was just like, well, it looked, it's like choreography. And so I just, I loved it. Interesting. I looked at it all like steps, you know? So that was my first experience with jujitsu, had no idea what it was. But after the first day, like they told me I could, trained the rest of the week to make sure I liked it. But I went home and I, I knew, I was like, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. And so for the first three months, um, my dad paid for it. My dad paid for it while I was get I was getting more on my feet at that time with personal training and having the clients. 
Um, but my dad was like, you know, I really like this because, you know, you're my, you're my baby girl and you're in Los Angeles all by yourself. Like, I love the idea of you being able to, to defend yourself and keep yourself safe. So I he like, paid for my first three months. I like the idea that in terms of making it on your own, you wanted to buy your own food, pay mm -hmm. your own rent and stand mm -hmm. on your own two feet. Mm -hmm. You weren't willing to compromise asking for help for those things. But then no. when you found jujitsu, you were mm -hmm. so passionate about it that you were like, yeah. this is a place where I will humble myself. I will ask yeah. my dad for help here. Yes. And it makes me crazy. And, and listen, you and I are both people who get to field a lot of questions around jujitsu. And I, mm -hmm. by and large, really don't have any judgment of any questions that people ask. And a lot yeah. of times it's like, I want to do it, but I'm afraid. Like, I have total respect for that. But mm -hmm. here is wh where I start to get weird is anytime somebody comments or asks a question about why is it so expensive? And mm. I can't afford it. It's so expensive. It's like, really? Like that that mindset kills yeah. me. Especially when I mean, think about think about everything in your life that you have gained from training jujitsu. Yeah. I was just about to say, like, you can't I get it all the time. Sorry, I didn't interrupt you. But no, no, keep going. Uh, I get it all the time, you know, at our academies, people walk in and it's expensive and, and I, I get it. Like things are, are a lot, you know, the, like the world and life is expensive, but I just wish you like, I wish there was a, like an adequate way of putting it into words, the value people will gain from jujitsu. Like yeah. it's, it, you can't even put it into words because it's like, you're learning, you're learning so much on the mat, off the mat. It makes us, I just, truly and wholeheartedly believe that it makes us better human beings. It makes us better friends, better family, better spouses, better for our kids, you know, like, so it's, it's hard for me when people say, Oh, it's kind of expensive. And I'm just like, Oh, I wish I could tell you just how much you're going to gain from this. I know. I know. And the other thing is like, people will say, well, you know, I'm just not motivated to go. And I have, I have kind of stopped trying to play in that space i just basically mm -hmm. say if you don't love it there's nothing mm -hmm. morally wrong with not loving it and if it's mm -hmm. not for you go find the thing mm -hmm. that you really love but for you and i you know, in some respect, in this conversation, we're preaching to the choir because a lot of people who most of the people who are listening are training actively. Yeah. But yeah. for people who have never trained before and they're and they're tuning into the My White Belt show, it's like for us, the benefits, I feel like it, I feel like whatever what I don't know, you know, hey. Don't up my rate academy that I love and, and serve, but they can almost <laughs> charge me whatever they want to charge me. And I would think it was worth it. And I would want to yeah. like go out of my way to like, if I had to yeah. get a part-time job to train, mm -hmm. I would, cause it's that, it's that valuable. How, yeah. how long, so you're saying, so it's, it sounds like you're saying like one class in, you knew that you were hooked. Oh yeah. One, one class in. 
I, I was like, I want to do this. Like they were like, you know, take the week, do your, do your free trials. You know, I called my family about it right after. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like, yeah. I just, I loved it. Like I loved it. And there were, I just, I just couldn't wait to go back. And at the time I was getting all these new clients and I was working a ton. I think almost like, almost because I, I struggled so hard and had so little, you know, that finally when I was getting clients, I just took on as many clients as I could. Cause I was just like, almost like a scarcity mindset. Like I had nothing. So now I'm going to like take as much as I can. Um, but jujitsu felt so important to me that I was like, okay, they have a lunch class. I'm going to make my schedule. I'm going to Tetris my schedule enough to where I can go Monday through Friday at noon. And my boss thought I was crazy. He was like, you, what? You're going to go every day? And I was like, I'm going to go every day. And you know, when I first moved here too, it was like, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any friends. I was underage. I couldn't go out and do things. You know, I, I was just yeah. work and walk to Trader Joe's. And, you know, so when I started learning jujitsu, it was, it was instantly so much more than just like a new skill. It was like, I had friends and I had community and I had people that, you know, I can understand it more now, but like in the beginning, like you, you like really struggle, like you really, it's hard. Like you struggle and you don't know what you're doing. It's like trying to learn a foreign language for your mind and your body. And, uh, and it was like, I was struggling with those people in my class. Like there was a girl, Paula, and she and I started at the same time. And we became really good friends because we had to struggle every day together. We had to beat each other up. We didn't know what we were doing. And so jujitsu is just like a skill. It's a camaraderie, it's community. And, and like, that's why from the first day I was like, this is going to be my, this is going to be my, my, my thing. Were people welcoming to you? Uh, they were, yeah, they were, they were pretty good at being, um, welcoming. Um, they, they went really hard though. <laughs> now, like I had, I had later switched academies um, to where I'm at now, legacy. Um, and when I made that switch, it was very interesting because my first school, they were welcoming, but they were rough. Like they just liked to spar and they just liked to free roll and train. Um, and so they, they, they taught me how to be really tough. And then when I switched to legacy with Alberto Crane, they had a very strict fundamentals curriculum that they followed. And so I was going in just like ready to spar and all their white belts, like were just beating the tar out of me, like two stripe white belts. And I'm like, what, what's happening? Like, why, why am I not doing as well as I did like wrestling way or like sparring way harder? And it was because I just didn't have that technicality where they had very strong fundamentals. And so when I made that switch, um, it felt even more welcoming to me because it wasn't just about like fighting hard. It was just like, no, there's, there's a technical side to this. How long did you train at the first place before you moved over to Legacy? And why did you move over to Legacy? Um, it was about a year. Um, so I had been there a year and I started competing very early on. I yeah, started you competing three months in. Are you <laughs> no. out of your mind? better and then and then it goes back to my 14 year old self where i was like yeah i'm gonna jump out of a tree that sounds cool i'm gonna jump nightmare into nightmare that sounds cool. yeah it was uh the nabjjf worlds was my very first tournament and i remember uh it was like a six minute the, the match no five minute match for white belt and then if the score was zero zero you had to do overtime and back then 
they, they cap the overtime now. Back then, they didn't cap the overtime. So this girl, for the full five minutes playing spider guard on me, uh, she couldn't sweep me. After the five minutes, match is over. We stand up. He's like, okay, first points wins. I had no clue what that meant. All I knew was just stay on top. And then we went for like another six minutes and she finally swept me. But that was my first tournament experience. And then I was hooked. But the first academy that I was at, they didn't really like competing. They didn't like competing. They had no interest in going. You know, so if I they went- They just wanted like, to roll. They just wanted to get in, like do a yeah. technique and then, and then pressure test it. Yeah, but I just kept signing up for different tournaments. I kept signing up. I kept going. I kept competing. I hadn't. I didn't know what I was doing. Like I was all like trial by fire at that time. And so um, I went and I had done, I, I don't remember why I went to do like a trial class at Legacy, but I went and did a trial class and I was a four stripe white belt. And um, like, that was when I went and I was getting just like beat up by their fundamentals. And I was just like, whoa. And then they had um, a bunch of people like competing there. They had like a little team that was competing. So then um, that was really hard for me because I had switched academies as a dancer and I knew like how difficult that is politically. Yeah. Um, so it took me a while to make that switch. I ended up staying at the first academy. They they did the graduation at the end of the first year, my first year of jujitsu. So after one year, I got my blue belt and then I really wanted to compete, but I was scared then not scared, but I was just like, I need more skills to compete at blue belt. Yeah. So then I made the switch to legacy and I wanted like that. I went, I just, I was a blue belt, but their white belts over there with their fundamentals were just killing me. So isn't that funny? Isn't the belt system so weird in jujitsu? It's so weird. It's so weird. I'm a two stripe. I'm a two stripe purple belt, uh-huh. and I, I I run two beginner classes at our academy, mm-hmm. and two days in a row I've had these like two like two hundred and fifty pound white belts. And just giving them like a full mount with a with an underhook and like mm-hmm. I I got stuck twice twice in a row and I am yeah. like working my ass off now on mount escapes, but mm-hmm. it's like oh my god like I'm a 52 year old man being mounted <laughs> by a 250 pound white belt police officer yeah and I'm just like all right get your elbows in try to do anything that means anything to alleviate any of this pressure and it's mm-hmm. like it's just such a funny it's such a funny sport what kind of white belt were you in terms mm-hmm. of you know your attitude what did your game look like at white belt like you say your first so, six months i was your classic white belt fury like white belt fury didn't know how to slow myself down purple lips at the end of the round like it was just a hundred percent go um, and I liked guard. I liked guard after that first tournament where I lost from the spider guard, I became obsessed with spider guard. Um, cause I had never seen it before. And, um, that's a big reason why I like competing. And I tell a lot of my students to compete is because you gain so much knowledge when you compete, like the, the medals and the wins and the loses, like, meh. That's not the gold. Like the gold is what you gain, you know? It's like for me, I would never saw spider guard until I competed. And I learned that from spider guard. I saw the power of it came back. So in my first six months for to like a year, it was spider guard. Like I loved the guard. Um, and I was crap at passing. I, that's when my white belt theory would come out. Cause I just couldn't understand the concept of getting out of the legs, around the legs and controlling. It was really difficult for me. So my first 
like little game when I was the white belt was spider guard on the bottom and being an absolute spaz on the top. <laughs> and it was all gi. Yeah, all gi. Are yeah. you both now? You're both now. I'm both now, but uh, definitely I favor the gi. Like I, I'm kind of partial to the gi. Yeah, I was always like that too. And I, our our coach, oh God, it's got to be like a year or uh, more than a year ago. He just said all of his classes going forward were going to be no gi. So we have a couple of no, mm. we have a couple of gi classes a week, and mm -hmm. you know I teach a, a fundamental gi class Monday mm -hmm. nights, but it's a lot of no gi at our academy. Yeah. And I have I have fallen in love with it. I can say, yeah. I think I can say that I I like them both equally now, though. If you put a gun to my head and I had to pick one, I think I would probably still pick gi. Yeah. Yeah. You know, going circling back to Nate Morrison and Invictus, uh, when I was there for two weeks earlier this month, I went in and they have like a ton of nogi and like their yeah. open mat on the weekends was nogi. And I was like, oh, but after training for, you know, with them for the while I was there, I was like, you know what? Like nogi's fun. Like nogi's fun. It's fast. It's different. I definitely feel a lot more confident in the gi for sure. Are you a black um, belt? Are you a black? If you were going to rate yourself, are you a black belt in nogi? No, <laughs> no. What's your leg no, game I, like? If you don't mind me that asking. Was, I was just about to say, I am not proficient in the leg game. I'm, I'm learning. Um, it's something like with our school, uh, we're kind of like, we're evolving to be more open to the legs. Yeah. Uh, but for a long time, it was, you can't do legs till you're a brown belt. So I didn't learn. And right. then it was kind of like this, well, oh crap, I'm a brown belt. And what do I know? Straight ankle locks. Okay. But like, that's about it. So I would say my nogi is a lot more behind. I would, I don't know what I would rank myself as like a belt. Yeah. I'm uh, just, I just was curious as to whether or not you saw yourself as a black belt. Right. No, and it's like, hard for me. I know. And it's such a weird, it's such a funny thing all the different philosophies that, you know, even if, you know, you talk to like Kenny Florian or Tom DeBlas or my coach or like mm -hmm. Horian Gracie came on and you and like everybody has, everybody has a different opinion about the leg game. Yeah. And yeah. it's really interesting. The, you know, our academy Mm -hmm. People, you know, so basically at our academy, we have two fundamentals classes a week. You can, and anybody can go to them. We have like purple belts who come and they mm -hmm. basically like come and help out or it's like yeah. they're be on the mat. But everybody at every level trains legs at our mm -hmm. academy. And mm -hmm. and for some reason that is that is controversial. Like we're not letting yeah. belts or blue belts or anybody that hasn't been invited specifically to heel hook. We're not letting them heel hook. Yeah. But everyone's doing Ashi. Everyone's doing X, reverse X, saddle, mm -hmm. um, M&R rolls. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's like a big part of our curriculum. If you owned an academy, mm -hmm. would you have white belts learning leg locks or would you make them wait until blue or longer? I feel like being, you know, exposed because if you would have asked me that two years ago, I would have said blue belt for sure. Like, wait, you know, they need to wait. Um, but now, you know, I've trained with Nate and he, you know, exposes them very early on to the legs. And then there's a Nogi school here. Um, 
that just opened up new ground and they, they expose everyone to the legs right from the beginning. And so now I'm a firm believer of, it, it comes down to the, I think into the, the instruction, mm-hmm. like how attentive is your coach? How mindful is your coach? Like if your coach is just teaching a heel hook and you say, okay, one, two, three, go drill. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of problems. But if you have a coach that can articulate, like, this is dangerous. Like, I think you should be educated on your whole body, like legs, upper body, like everything, chokes, arm locks, leg locks. I think you should be educated. However, it's extremely dangerous. Like it's dangerous yeah. if, you, if you're not paying attention or you're not focusing on the details. Um, so I think with the, if I owned a gym, I would want to uh, expose my students early on to the legs um, with proper coaching mm. and attentiveness. And I I would say just like the way I treat my kids um, in my kids' classes, like when they start learning submissions, like if you are showing me that you cannot take care of yourself and you cannot take care of your partners, you lose the privilege, Yeah, you know, right. and just make that really clear. And I think like when, when I've been to a couple places and they make that very, very clear, like this is, we want you to learn, but if you're not taking care of both sides, yourself and your partner, then you lose the privilege. We'll have you work on something else, you I, know, like I, we're I like not that doing a lot. that. Yeah, it makes so, a lot of sense. So I think it's important to learn just under proper coaching and care. And it's the new, you know, it's like it's like the new thing. I just watched a documentary about like what it's not a documentary, it's a movie called Jesus People. And it's the true story of this church in California that had like nobody really going there. It was all like old people. It was like all like old people wearing suits and singing boring music and the whole thing was horrible. And like this mm-hmm. hippie guy came in and he like wanted to like hang out there. And he had all these other hippies that like wanted to go to church and they finally were like, okay, you can come to our church. And then like, it just like exploded where they started having like hundreds of people coming to their thing. But it takes, if you have something that's been around for a long time, like jujitsu, and it's been done a particular way, a big part of the jujitsu world is still slow to Mm -hmm. the leg game. So I can understand it. I can understand there Mm -hmm. being some hesitation. Mm -hmm. And I think you definitely do have to have boundaries. Like we don't let, we don't even let like purple belts or brown belts heel hook unless Mm -hmm. either, you know, Liam, who's our professor or Matt, the Ashi kid Dolan, who on this podcast, he he gets mentioned almost every week, so we've turned it into a drinking game. So anybody okay. that just heard me say Matt the Ashi Kid Dolan, they now have to drink. But these are all people who they will come to you and they will say, you can start working heel hooks, but this is what it's going to look like. And they set very tight boundaries on yeah that's how we are at our school too we have like we have the classes available that focus on it you know but it's it's tight you know it's tightly run so what was hard for you 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 know you got your black belt in just about Mm -hmm. 10 years maybe a little Mm -hmm. under a little under 10 years right like right under yeah and you were just and you're and you have been you know you've been training like probably what like five to six days a week yeah like five Five days a week, um, really consistent, especially through my colored ranks. Yeah. Um, because I was competing a lot. I was competing a lot. I love to compete. I started coaching kids at Bluebell, like assisting. Um, so it just very quickly became I stopped dancing. It just it became my my whole life. Yeah. You know? Did it become your um, identity? 
I don't know if it became my identity. I think maybe for a while, I kind of more, more so like I got hurt in my brown belt and I had to take a step back. Yeah. And um, I did have like a little bit of like, wow, my entire life revolves around jujitsu, training, mm-hmm. teaching, competing, you know, working at the academy. Um, and so when I got hurt, I stepped out of that and I started doing uh, when I started to heal, I started doing triathlon and I was like, whoa, I was like, there's a whole nother world. So I guess there's kind of been like an identity thing where it's just like, I never thought like, who am I without jujitsu? Cause I like so many other activities. Like I love, you know, just being active, mm-hmm. uh, but it does get tricky when you're immersed in it 24 seven. I know like for me, I have all these things. I've always loved music. I toured as a singer songwriter, but all these things that I love. And so many of them have kind of like taken a little bit of a backseat. I want to just yeah. go back to, well, it's kind of like where we are right now talking about you and getting a black belt in, in you know, mm-hmm. just a little under 10 years, but also kind of like the way you were with a kid. You mentioned your mom, you mentioned your grandfather. I don't know if, did you mention your father? Your Did you mention your dad at all? Yeah. My dad, yeah, my oh, dad. Oh yeah, you did because he paid. He paid for your first mm-hmm. three months of jujitsu because he wanted it. Yeah. Okay. So if- where the way I have my dad in my phone is best friend, aka dad. <laughs> so oh, I love that. My dad is he's like my rock. You know, like if there's ever anything in my life that I need or I'm struggling with, um, I turn to him. You know, I turn to him. He's always been there for me, like 100. percent He's always pushed me. He's always um been a great example of like hard work both my parents like my my mom she's a savage she that is the hardest working woman you've ever met in your life um so i had really good example of that hard work but yeah i'm very very close with my dad when we talk on the phone we just we talk about everything and anything under the sun we we talk about it so when you look when you look over your life who what important family member in your life would it almost appear as though you're imitating if you're if it's any of them and maybe it's none of them at all but i wonder who comes to, like who who's responsible for this drive of and just to play it back to you a mm-hmm. an 18-year-old girl with mm-hmm. no money moving to Los Angeles, California to mm-hmm. dance, having mm-hmm. $12 a week for groceries, right? Like mm-hmm. who are you imitating? Where does that come from? So we always tease in the family that I am a perfect hybrid of my parents. I, they, those, they are incredible human beings, my family. Like my mom, my mom, my dad is a joke for my mom. He says, if you need something done or you need somebody handled, all you got to do with your mother is shake the cage and cut the chain. And that's it. Wow. So my mom is, she's tenacious and she's resilient and she is incredibly strong minded, almost too strong for her own good. Um, sometimes it's, she does everything. She re-roofed our house. She does the plumbing. She does the yard. You know, we have six acres back in Colorado. She laid 20 tons of literally ton. Like when I say the word ton, it's I actually mean a ton, 20 ton of rock to like re-landscape her whole backyard. Like she she's incredible. So she's this tenacious woman. Um, and the qualities that she instilled in me was like. I'm trying to think of an example. 
if I crashed my dirt bike, right? We made a new jump. Here's the new jump. You got to pull up on the handlebars. You got to make sure you, you know, butt is lifted off the seat when you're landing. If I crashed my dirt bike, which I did plenty of times, complete face plant, bloody teeth, bloody nose, you know, like grass burn on my arms. My mom would be in the backyard. Mom would come over, pick up the bike. I'm crying. And she would say, get back on your bike. And I'd be like, crying, bleeding. She goes, you're going to go. You're going to do the jump again. You're going to land it. And then we'll go in the house and we'll clean up. And she did that because she didn't ever want, she knew how much more difficult it would be for, for me to get back on that bike. If I went in the house and she took care of me and she coddled me and she cleaned up all my whatever mouth and nose and arms, she would have known that when we came back outside to do the jump again, I would have been so much more scary. So she would, she just like instilled that like resilience and that grit and that like, that's what she instilled in me was get on your bike, go do the jump again, land the jump, do it two more times. Great. Blood. Like, okay, now we go in the house. Now we clean up. And then we go back outside. I work, you play, you want to ride your bike. You want to go on the trampoline. What do you want to do? Like, she just, she made me just extremely strong. That's what she did. Cause she's the strongest woman I've ever met in my life. What's your, what's your ethnic background? I'm a uh, German. Yeah. Yeah. My mom is German and my dad is uh, like Spain, Spanish. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's so, my mom. Go ahead. No. Well, so keep, keep going. Yeah. So I was going to say I'm a perfect hybrid of my parents because that's my mom. And my dad, he's like, when my dad walks into anywhere, like everybody loves my dad. Like he's, he's this light. He's so kind. He's giant, six, four, big guy, kindest soul you like he and his business they have an automotive business he bends over backwards for his people and he's always just told me and like the way we were brought up was um you take care of the people around you and they're going to take care of you back and then i say it all the time on my instagram and and i on other places and people know that like my dad's saying is never pursue money pursue excellence and money will pursue you so my dad has this very like hardworking, humble, like take care of people around you approach. My mom does too. So, but my mom has that like gritty, very like strong willed personality. So I'm almost like a perfect hybrid of them. Like I can be soft, like my dad and, and strong and hard, like my mom. So, so for people who were never, for people who were never pushed, right. For people Mm -hmm. who only had the soft the soft personality that was like, oh my gosh, I didn't want you to have that dirt bike in the first place. And now you fell off and you're not riding that thing anymore. And just come inside and we're going to get you, you're going to take knitting lessons and we're never going to do anything Mm -hmm. dangerous like that again. For people Mm -hmm. who are, who are raised with self-doubt and Mm -hmm. fear and, um, and insecurity and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I'm talking about myself a little bit. Okay, everybody just settle down out there. All right. <laughs> I'm asking the questions here. Um, for anybody who was raised sort of like coddled and afraid, but they are either interested in jujitsu or maybe they're in their first, you know, six months to a year of jujitsu. Mm-hmm. How can a person cultivate 
these attributes, these attributes of, you know, positivity and overcoming and courage and persistence. Mm -hmm. How can a person cultivate, in your opinion, these things if they weren't raised with them being modeled? Yeah. I feel like, you know, no matter what your upbringing was, whether you were pushed or you were coddled or you were neglected, whatever your upbringing is, at the end of the day, I don't feel like it necessarily defines you or defines like the outcome of your personality. I feel like every single person has it within themselves to be strong and to be brave and to make conscious decisions that that like make them stronger as, as human beings. And so I feel like, you know, I've met many hundreds of people that walk into the academy and they're shy and they're, they don't feel very, very brave or they've been bullied or they just, they went through something terrible in their life and they just feel like they're, in, they're struggling and they're insecure. And I just tell them, I'm like, the beautiful thing about jujitsu, which we kind of talked about a little bit, is you're going to have the support of your community. You know, you have your your coaches that are here to support you. You have the people that are here to support you. And whenever anyone messages me, I get lots of white belts messaging me. You know, what what is it? Like, what do I focus on? You know, because I don't feel strong or I don't feel brave or I feel like I should quit because I feel like I hold back the class. Like, I always tell them the most important thing is to just keep showing up. Keep showing up. It's consistency. Like if you can just put it in your schedule, you put it in your Google calendar that you're going to go two times a week, three times a week, and you don't, and you had that coddling upbringing or you had whatever upbringing you had, it doesn't matter. It comes down to the consistency because jujitsu is such a beautiful sport um, and skill and art that as long as you're consistent with it, like you will grow and you will improve not only on the mat, but off the mat. It, it just has this magical way of making us stronger human beings and more courageous and resilient human beings. It's just amazing. All you you got to do is show up. Do you have any theories on why that is though? I totally agree with you. (sighs) And and like just trying to put it into words for people who have never tasted it. Yeah. That's what we were talking about earlier. It's just like, how do you like about the price, you know, like it's it's just such a hard thing to like put into words because the other beautiful thing about jujitsu is it's unique to everyone because of our upbringings, because of things that we've experienced in our lives and traumas we've had to overcome and hardships and, you know, everything that we've all had in our each in in each of our individual lives is so unique to us. And so I feel like with jujitsu, it's so, so beautiful because your experiences and your hardships are different than mine. Um, but jujitsu will morph and give you what you need for what you've gone through in your life. And it's like, it's like magic. It's like magic. I don't know how it does it, but if you're consistent, it's going to do it for you. I know. That's what they said to me. I was, you know, you know, my backstory. And I was just like, I just was like, I had my, in my first year, like my first six months, I loved it. I really loved it. And I knew that Mm -hmm. I wasn't going anywhere, but I also knew that I really sucked and and I and somebody said to me, a couple of people said to me, if you don't quit, if you will just keep showing up, your game will form and you will get yeah. some and you'll get somewhere. Yeah. And they were right. So, OK, so now I have questions because you mentioned journaling and you mentioned mm-hmm. morning routine. So mm-hmm. in detail, like including when you pee and when you brush your teeth from the time your eyes open. In the uh-huh. morning, your first three hours, walk me through 
Professor <laughs> Erica Don's first three hours. Go. All right. I, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I got, you would. I got you. This is the, there's the, the one thing I feel confident in life, like all the way is this. Um, so I wake up. My days kind of look dif like different depending on the day and the work. Like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I have more time in the morning than I do Tuesdays and Thursdays. Because Tuesdays and Thursdays, I still have um, four hours of personal training clients from way back in 2012. Okay. Um, all those clients are in their uh, 60s, 60s to 80s. So that's what I was doing all morning today. I was with them. So those mornings, my morning routine is a little different. It's, um, But always kind of the same. Like I wake up, I have my, my water, I go what pee. What time do you typically wake up? On Tuesdays, well, Tuesdays and Thursdays, my first client is at 620. Okay. So I wake up at like 5, 515. Okay. Um, shorter morning routine on those days. Um, that's just kind of like I get up, I have my water, go to the bathroom, get dressed. Um, What's Nate, in the water? Just water? Lemon. Okay. Lemon. Lemon. Okay. Or I have like colloidal minerals um, that I put in my water too because I'm not like a salt, huge salt person. Uh, so I've had blood work done a few times and they're like, man, your sodium's too low. So I, I'm a big believer in colloidal minerals and, okay. you know, supplementing salt and lemon in my water. Um, so yeah, try to have the water, start the coffee, go to the bathroom. I have my remarkable that Nate was scribbling on when I met him. So now I have one of those. What is um, a remarkable? Is it like a uh, reusable journal? Kind of. Yeah. So it's just, here's my remarkable. It's like, oh, wow. oh look, this is your phonetic sticker. Um, so it's just like a... Just for writing, and it kind of like feels like paper, but it's super cool because you can make PDFs on Google Drive, on Google oh. Docs, and then transfer them over to the Remarkable. So for my morning routine, I have um, it goes through, you know, first of all, at the top of it, it has my four agreements. I love that book. If you haven't read that book, you need to read uh, that book. Yep. I, I'm always be impeccable with your word. Don't take anything for you. Yeah, I love that book. Yeah. I have right. a, that's my screensaver on my phone, and it's like the top of my morning routine. So, um, and it just goes through like what I'm grateful for. And then, you know, and then I do morning pages where it's just like a streamline of consciousness and you just journal for three pages. You're speaking my language, lady. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So I do my, my, gra my gratitude gets you in the right frame of mind. And then that streamline of consciousness, that's where like a lot of my ideas come out or like anything I'm really frustrating with. I just put it down on paper or my remarkable um, and then it goes into like specific affirmations for myself, you know, just with kind of different areas of my life. Um, and you write them all like tailored to you. That's why I love the remarkable and making my own PDFs because it's just for me, you know, and uh, after affirmations, I go through my core values. So I have those all written out, like my personal core values. Can you my tell us what they are or are they, or are they too private? Um, some of them are private, but no, it's, it's, you know, it's like having integrity, integrity in my word as like, uh, as like a, like a woman, you know, like I want to always have integrity in my word. Why as a um, woman? But, um, you know, I feel like oftentimes just being a woman in a, in a very male dominated sport, like sometimes I'll go to say something and then I'll feel like, oh, maybe this isn't right. Like I'm talking to higher ranked, like senior black belts and you kind of, for me, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak for anybody else. I've changed what I wanted to say because I didn't feel like I should be talking in that way. And so, right. but then, then that leads to my next um, uh, core value, which is uh, always speak your truth. So they kind of go hand in hand, like have integrity in your word, always speak your truth. Because for me, I'm very, 
sensitive to that. Like if I'm not speaking my truth, I get this like gnarly knot in my upper belly. So it's, you know, integrity, it's consistency, it's um, speaking my truth. Um, it's maintaining an open mind, you know, to the world and like everything, it can be your teacher, in my opinion. Like I learn from my white belts, like my white belts teach me things. Like I'm not, I'm not any different than them. Like I'm still learning, I'm still evolving and they might have something to teach me, you know? Um, so, so yeah, it's like always keeping a mindset of like evolution and everything is your teacher. So those are kind of my core values that I have for myself. And then for business, it's just like, I want to put my people first, you know, like serve my community and take care of my people. Um, Cause I know if I do that, like I'm taken care of, you know, spiritually and that's your dad right there. Yeah. That's my dad. Um, you know, and just like always work hard. And um, I try to, you know, focus on, you know, one of the other things in there is like focus on what you can control mm. and don't, you know, if your if your energy is like a, a tank, like how much energy each day are you giving away that is unnecessary, like for things you can't control. So I just run through like my core values and things that try to keep me mindful. And then um, I go through like my three goals, personal goals for the day, write them down, three goals for work, write them down. And then I just have a checklist, like empty out my emails, check all my work messages, you know, go over my Google calendar for the day make sure I got everybody in there. Um, and then I'll stretch and then I'll eat my breakfast or take a protein shake with me and then brush my teeth and I go. <laughs> um, in terms of your game, Mm-hmm. What are you, what are you currently? Well, I have so many questions and I don't want to keep you too long, but how, no, you you're cry, fine. did you cry when you got your black belt? I did cry when I got my black belt. I was going through a really hard time when I got my black belt. So that day was like a big, big day for me. I yeah. just, I cried. I really struggled with my speech. Uh, I didn't have anything like pre-written or anything because I was just, um, I had gotten hurt last year, you know, bad. I tore my LCL. I tore my hamstring or in, inserts in the back of the knee. Um, that took me out of, I mean, I was competing every month last year. I was competing, you know, January, February, like Austin, Texas, New Orleans, uh, Pans. I did the um, Phoenix open. And then when I was doing the San Diego open in May, that's when I tore my LCL, my hamstring tendon. But my big goal for last year was Masters Worlds at Brownville. In wow. September, and it took me out. So You're then I'm in young this- for masters, aren't you? I'm thirty. That's masters. Yeah, masters God, one. I'm so old. Keep going. You're so old. <laughs> literally, I'm literally the oldest, but I'm not as old as John Connors. Do you know who that guy is? Uh huh. Check out John Connors. He's sixty years old, black belt. He and his son own an academy out here, and they made a documentary about him. That's amazing. Just, just we have this guy. He he travels around the world and still competes in masters tournaments. He yeah. So we have ours at our gym. Nobody really knows how old he is. He's got to be over 70, but we all call him Savage at our gym. Yeah, it's awesome. And he's, he's doing Masters Worlds this year. I mean, everyone in in his brackets like 20 years younger than him. I hope he fights John Connors. I hope so too. John Connors um, is the best. You you're gonna love that guy. Yeah, I'm gonna look him up. John Connors. Um, so anyways, I got hurt in May and then that put me out you know, for training the whole rest of the year. Um, I was still teaching. 
Uh, and then November for my birthday, my birthday is November 2nd. And so for my birthday weekend, we went on like a girl's trip and, um, with my best friends and on the way home, uh, we ended up not, I don't know how to explain it, but basically a a motorcycle cut us off on the freeway, like nine in the morning, coming back from San Diego, cut us off going uh, hundred over hundred miles an hour. He lost control and he crashed his bike and went flying through the air. And uh, I was the first one to to him. And I didn't think that he was alive, Uh, but he was. I'll save details because I don't want I don't know who's listening. (laughs) I don't want to like bring up too much of of the trauma of it. But it was it was it was. It changed me as a person. It was the longest like 27 minutes of my life with this man, um, you know, keeping him alive and awake. I can see, I can see it in your face. It's, it's a hard one for me. I can feel my, I can feel that not here, but uh, you know, it it really, it messed me up and you know, I, I was just really struggling and I would just start crying for no reason. And, uh, in the middle of the day and I just, I couldn't focus for like the whole week. And then, you know, the, the really hard thing is like after they took this guy, out of my lap put him in the ambulance that's it you don't get to know you don't you don't you don't know you don't know you just don't know and that really bothered me um and so relating that to my black belt so that was the sunday before our graduation ceremony so i knew that because my family got invited to come from colorado to la i knew that i was going to get my black belt I knew without actually being told. And so I was just going through this crazy hard time getting my black belt where I was just like, I didn't feel ready and I didn't feel adequate enough because I had spent from May to November injured. And all I was doing, I was still at the academy every single day because I run the school, I GM the school, I run the teams for some of our other locations. Um, I teach all the kids. So I was still there and very active. And even if I was on my brace or my crutches, um, but I didn't feel ready as like an athlete for my black belt. And so I didn't, that was kind of messing with my head. And then this just horrible accident, it just made me question so many things. And it yeah. was six days before the ceremony. So yes, I bawled like crazy <laughs> when I got my black belt because of everything I was going through in my life. But also just like, wow, like this has been a decade of, of commitment. And it was just yeah. all of these things happening at once. And it was so beautiful to just be like, but this is my time right now. Like even I have to trust my professor. I have to trust my journey. And if he's saying I'm ready, I got to trust. Even though I had like some imposter syndrome and there was other things going on in my life where it made it hard to focus. It we was just, do. that was, that was such a, a big day. For me, like I thinking about that day and everything and my family there and my friends there. And um, it, I, man, I, yeah, I cried. I gave my speech. Erica, uh, you got a yeah. black, you got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? It's just like, I looked at, I looked at our new blue belts and I looked them in the face. Cause yeah, I watched them come in on their, on the, you know, I was there for, I think for everybody that got their blue belt, yeah, then I was there for their trial class. I'm just like looking at them mm-hmm. and I looked them in the eye and I said, you've earned a blue belt mm-hmm. in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You've done it's this. It's a big No deal. one can ever take it away from you. Mm-mm. Nobody can ever undo it. You're there. 
and you don't so show any signs of stopping but to like look at you and i'm like you know what am i i'm just like a, a purple belt out here like working to not get subbed by white belts with heavy with horrible <laughs> mounts um horrible meaning great but you got a black you're a black belt in brazilian jiu-jitsu and like you're mm-hmm. a world-class competitor like you're this like you're like this tomboy girl who got mm-hmm. horrible grades, right? Yeah. And you had ants yeah. in your pants and like you, you know, all this stuff. And you have you have parents who believed in you and you come from mm-hmm. good stock and you have these morning rituals that are working to make you better. And we have like all these people listening right now, Erica. And some of them mm-hmm. are like, they were like, you and I, they're like, amen, this is how I'm living too. And this is what I'm yeah. doing. And, but then mm-hmm. there are others who just feel like this lifestyle is so out of reach for them and they haven't even done their trial class yet. Can you just yeah. speak to those men and women right now? Like, what, oh, do, what do they need to hear from you? I just feel like if you've contemplated trying a class and it feels scary, to you. Like, that's okay. It should be scary. Like trying new things and going outside of our comfort zone. It's scary. And there's nothing that takes away from that. However, no matter who you are, what you've gone through or what your upbringing or your life looks like, like you can, like you, you can, there's no like bias in this sport. Like it will take, it will, it will make you better. Um, and it will give you exactly what you need. And as scary it is, as it is, you know, me standing outside the school for 30 minutes, pacing in the parking lot, like I've been there too. And I look down at my belt now and I'm like, wow, I've just kept showing up and I was just consistent. And I just came in and did my best. And that changed from day to day. Some days I had more to give than others, but the belt went from white to black. And on that very first day in the parking lot, pacing around, like, I didn't even know what I was getting myself into, you know? But if you've ever contemplated trying the sport or it piques your interest at all, like I'm here to tell you right now, you can, like you can do it and, and just try. And it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay to feel insecure or silly, but like you have it in you to try and it has the ability to completely change your life. So I say, go for it amazing i i love all of that i i like to always ask this question particularly of black belts what position do you hate what position do you hate getting stuck in and yet you're you're all these years <laughs> later if you wind up here you're like oh uh getting better <laughs> at it but bottom half guard Bottom half guard is tough for you. Like being like smashed in bottom half. Like okay. I just really try to not ever go there. Okay. Cause I'm just like, God, like my only option is to just watch you pass. Cause I really struggle with sweeps. Uh, after I hurt my knee though, I couldn't really play my spider, my X guard as well. Cause of my knee. Yeah. So I had to kind of dive into the bottom half game a little bit more for yeah. the knee purposes. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not a favorite position of mine. Now top half. Oh, I love me some top half guard. Oh yeah, me too. It's like <laughs> but bottom dream. half. Ooh. I would take top half over mount. I would. I would rather have. I would rather have top half than mount any day of the week. Yeah, I I love top half guard. Like when I get there, like in my competitions and like competing, like if I can get to top half guard, like my coaches are quiet because they just know. Like I just I'm so 
that's my place. I love being in top half guard. So, um, yeah, bottom half guard. No. Erica Don, I'm so grateful for your time. Thanks for coming on the My White Belt show. This has been Thank great. you. I feel like we could keep going for another hour, but I uh maybe we'll have you back at some yeah. point in time and we can do this again. Definitely. Okay, so that was a conversation with Erica Don. I hope you enjoyed it. She's, you know, just the story is incredible. People who move someplace with no money, with just a hope and a dream, and which was her, and then to and then to discover jujitsu and to have it completely change her life the way it has is it's pretty incredible in my never humble. I'm just kidding, I'm humble. Uh it's pretty incredible, in my opinion. And I I think that that's a good place for us to wrap up today. We'll see you over there on the Instagram. I hope I hope that this is your week that if you if you haven't even done a trial class yet, I hope that this is your week. Get out there. Get on the get off the couch, get on the mat, train hard and train smart. 